0: Good evening, everyone. We come now to the second word with our Lord Jesus Christ spoke from the cross. Pastor Ed did an outstanding job in giving a really an augmented description of what crucifixion really entailed. We as pastors would have difficulty in describing in greater detail what an individual experienced as they are being crucified. It was one of the most horrific, if not the most horrific forms of execution ever devised by mankind. And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is experiencing that now in our sanctified imagination. We are there at the cross. This second word involves a criminal. The words that Jesus spoke are all very significant. These last seven words, several to his heavenly father. Think about that for a moment. One to a disciple, his mother. Another generally about thirsting. But this one was spoken with whom? this brief conversation with one individual. And as we shall see in my brief opportunity here to address this word, he is an individual just like me and just like you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to continue to worship you, to bask in your presence at the foot of the cross. We ask now once again, Lord, I ask you, Father, To empty me of myself, to fill me with your Holy Spirit and anoint me on behalf of your people, both here, assembled in person, those virtually, and those who may be watching this and attending to this service in days, weeks, perhaps years ahead, via the technology that you have provided. Help us now, Father God, to continue to be touched and transformed by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name, above every name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll get to Luke chapter 23, from which this second word is taken. But Isaiah 53 is a prophetic chapter of scripture. There are many. I can still recall Pastor Ed especially time and time again down through the years saying there are over 300 prophetic scriptures concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53 and verse 12 I believe that there is a portion of that verse that is rendered thus prophet Isaiah he said because he that is the Lord Jesus Christ because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors yes the Lord Jesus Christ is being crucified with two common criminals now in my studies these men must have been some type of more than just common criminals to be crucified. Today, if you commit a robbery or a theft, I can remember a time when I was in a a gas station and I slipped a cherry pie in my pocket. I still feel guilty about that. It was literally out and out stealing. But these two individuals, I would think, did more than that. Perhaps they committed a violent act. Perhaps they were repeat offenders. But each of these criminals were there with Jesus in the center as if he was the worst of the three. As Pastor Ed described, Jesus endured so much more, as far as we can tell from the gospel renderings, than Jesus had experienced. Now traditionally, not in canon and not in scripture, I began wondering about what are the names of these two criminals They're people just like me and you. They must have had names. And in tradition, the criminal who, in tradition, was crucified on Jesus's left side, his name was Gestas, G-E-S-T-A-S. So we give him a name. It doesn't matter if it's accurate or not, just for the sake of naming this person whom God loved, cared deeply about. The other who traditionally was crucified on his right, his name was Dismas. And Dismas was the penitent criminal. He was the one who came and began the conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly what these two criminals experienced. They may have known one another. They may have worked together. We don't know any of those details. It doesn't matter. But consider all the things that they too had experienced and heard if we only consider after they had too been impaled on their crosses the vilifying, the mockery. In the Gospels, it says that people, just people like you and I walking by, shook their heads. If he's the son of God, let him come down off the cross and save himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the 27th chapter, we're told that both of the criminals mocked and vilified. They were angry and discontent, screaming, yelling. But something happened with this one criminal. Because in Luke chapter 23, we have a freshness, a newness about this man, about his heart. Each of us here tonight, we have names, don't we? And even as the Lord Jesus Christ knew the heart of the impenitent, Gestus, he knew the heart of the penitent, Dismas, whatever their names were, he knew the heart of, Looking back, under the old covenant, the heart of Moses, Noah, Joseph, David, he knew all their hearts. Fast forward, he knew the heart of Pilate. He knew the heart of the woman at the well. The woman caught in adultery. He knew the heart of Nicodemus, didn't he, when Nicodemus came at night? He knew his heart. Fifty years ago, I was in a young life retreat at Laraville. Last Saturday was 50 years, March 27th, on a cold March night. And Stu Bamig was our young life leader. He became the founding pastor of Orchard Hill Church. I can still remember as if it was yesterday. On Saturday night, he gave his third talk, an altar call. He talked about the crucifixion of Jesus. And for sake of time, he said this, and I've never forgotten it, like I was there. He said, Jesus Christ died on that cross. Even if you would have been the only person alive, Jesus would have went to the cross of Calvary and died for you. And as we consider this criminal this evening, he has a name. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew my heart that night 50 years ago. He knows our hearts tonight. He knows your heart this evening. He knows us by name. Every hair on our head is counted This second word is found in Luke chapter 23, and I will begin with verse 39. One of the criminals, and we'll say his name is a thief, a robber, who hung there, hurled insults at him, blasphemed, vilified him, that is Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. This man was all about himself, his own needs, his desire to be saved, his desire to be rescued. He had heard what the Lord Jesus Christ had been called. They placed a plaque upon the top of the cross. What did it say? What did Pilate render? This is the King of the Jews. They tried to say, Pilate, no, no, say, He said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. It's very likely they saw that. They knew who Jesus claimed to be. And yet, this Gestis, the impenitent criminal, Apparently, did not have a heart change. We don't know, ultimately. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, Dismiss, rebuked him, rebuked Gestus, admonished him. Don't you fear God? What happened in the heart of Dismiss? Well, it's what happens in every heart. It's what happened to my heart 50 years ago. It's what happened to many of your hearts. It's what we call in Reformed theology a regeneration. Jesus said, I'm sure he said it many times, unless my father draws one, no one can enter the kingdom of God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one, no one comes to the father except through me. So dismiss, rebuked. Gestus, don't you fear? Don't you have a reverence of God? Something was happening in this man's heart. Then he said, since you are under the same sentence and condemnation, so he gave a reason why his fellow criminal should have a different attitude, should have a different mindset. How was it after hearing what Pastor Ed described, how people who were being crucified, would behave their manner of tongue and speech. They would lose their minds. How is it that this one dismeth in the midst of all of his suffering, how is it that the Lord Jesus Christ would respond under such agony and pain, pushing up with your feet to try to get breath? And when your feet gave out and cramped and you're hanging by your wrists again, this brief conversation Dismas went on to say, we are punished justly, so he recognized that he was a sinner. He was receiving exactly what Roman law demanded and required, and we spiritually, scripture tells us, apart from Christ, we are dead. We are separated from him for all eternity outside of a relationship with Christ. How is it that he is beginning to put this together mentally? since we you are under the same sentence we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve but this man jesus has done nothing wrong so another profound truth that Dismas was proclaiming jesus's innocence proclaiming his sinlessness proclaiming the fact that jesus had no business no right being there and then He said to Jesus, Dismas said these words, Truly, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your realm. He was declaring Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. There was a transformation occurring in this man's life. Perhaps he had heard of Jesus. Perhaps he had a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather. We don't know. An aunt or an uncle who had become saved, part of the way. Perhaps he knew one of the disciples. We just don't know. How is it that any one of you or I came to know Christ? Who was the one or two or more who influenced you, who spoke to you? But at this moment, in the midst of crucifixion, Dismas said those words. And then Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise is very unique. It speaks of heaven. It was only used two other times in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when the apostle Paul was talking about himself, about being taken up into a third heaven, mysterious things that he didn't even want to speak about. And then in the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus and part of that letter in Revelation 2, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. William Barclay was a Scottish professor of divinity and biblical studies, Golden Gaskellow. And he died in 1978, and out of his New Testament commentaries, I came across this this week. He said this about this word paradise. He said the word paradise is a Persian word meaning a walled garden, an enclosed garden. I have a fenced in garden at home. I love it there. I go there and it's a place of peace, a place of growth, a place of just apartness. When a Persian king wished to do one of his subjects a very special honor, he made him a companion of the garden, and he was chosen to walk in the garden with the king. It was more than immortality that Jesus promised the penitent thief. William Barclay goes on, He promised him the honored place of a companion of the garden in the courts of heaven. This word in the Greek is a place of happiness a place of contentment, a place of peace. We know that above his head was placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The two robbers were crucified, one on his left and right. Those passing by hurled the insults. You're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders mocked him he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. No, they would not have without the grace of God. That's the key. God's grace was poured out upon the heart of Dismiss in these moments as he and Jesus conversed, if ever so briefly. He goes on to say in the same way those robbers Heaped insults. R.C. Sproul, one of my late hearers of the faith, said this about the unregenerate heart of man. All of us have been there. Unregenerate man is consistently described as being in a state of alienation and enmity. This is the condition that makes reconciliation necessary. Reconciliation is necessarily only when a state of estrangement exists between two or more parties. For Gestus, he continued to be estranged and an enemy of Jesus and the cross, but dismissed by God's grace, by God's unmerited favor. Upon his heart, he began to put together mentally, even in the midst of his pain and sorrow. Have any of us experienced this level of pain and suffering and sorrow, and yet he was able to come? The Lord called him in the midst of all of that. Today, you will be with me in paradise. R.C. concluded, estrangement is the natural fallen state of our relationship with God. Jonathan Edwards described it like this. He was a profound evangelist in the 1700s. He's known as being, as one commentator said, the stimulator of the religious Bible known as the Great Awakening. He said these points, By nature, we have a low esteem, a lacking of any reverence of God in our hearts. We count him unworthy of our love or fear. We prefer to keep a distance from God. We have no natural inclination to seek his presence in prayer. Our wills are opposed to the law of God. We are not loyal subjects of his sovereign rule. We are enemies against God in our affections, the way that we set our priorities, our thought lives. Our souls have a seed of malice against God, clear back from Adam and Eve, whose hearts the Lord knew as well. We are quick to blaspheme and to rage against him. We've heard what the criminal continued to do. And lastly, we are enemies in practice, in our own experiences, in our secret lives, that God sees all. We walk in a way that is contrary to him, all of us. One by one by one, we are all rebels. We are all sinners. We are just like these criminals. Who do you identify with this evening? In a little while, we're going to be singing a modern hymn. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice. Call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Dismissed died on that cross that day, knowing his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you walk from this place? Will you turn off this virtual broadcast tonight? Will you who are watching this on some day in the future, will you just turn this off and continue to relate and be one guestus, defying the love of God, rejecting him, resisting the care and concern that he demonstrates. No greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. In closing, the apostle John said these things, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself, Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And then he said this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. You can know that tonight. As my colleagues continue to come, as Pastor Marcus and company continue to lead us in worship, let us attend well to these words. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we adore you for the gift of glory won for us this day by your death upon the cross. We pray that as your cross is lifted up among us, all who see it might lay hold of you and with you know the sure and certain hope that heaven is their home.